Is it about the weather? This is your host, Mark Jelinek, and I want to welcome you back to this week's episode where we're going to be exploring the topic of broadcast meteorology and the future it may or may not have. However, since we talked last, there's been a lot of activity in the weather world. Uh, a couple of big things. We had a very active early start to the North Atlantic tropical cyclone season. You know, if you look at the statistics, some people will tell you about how early it's been. I think what stood out most to me is the two storms that have formed in the traditional part of the season, not, not Hurricane Alex, which was way back in January, uh, but the ones over the last few weeks have both made landfall in the U.S., which, um, you know, I don't know that it says anything about the season, but it's uh, kind of an interesting heads up and maybe is putting some people on notice in a good way uh, that we may have some more landfalling tropical cyclones in the future since we've had such a relatively quiet past 10 years or so um, on the number of landfall stand front. I think the probably the bigger news on a global basis has had to have been the heat uh, in Southeast Asia. I know I've mentioned it previously, but it continues to go on. And I was reading a blog post over at Weather Underground, and again, I'll put a link in the show notes for it, that talks about particularly how bad it's been in Thailand. But, you know, for those that don't live in uh, areas that receive tropical weather and have monsoon seasons, et cetera, um, it, it can be hard to kind of grasp these areas that count on the monsoon season to, to bring rains that, while it doesn't necessarily cool things off, it cools things off enough to where it's bearable. Uh, but again, it's it's been pretty brutal and... You can read a little bit more about all the records that were broken, but I think it was something on the order of over half the stations in Thailand had seen temperatures they had not reached before. Pretty incredible. But I, you know, probably the biggest news in the last few days is El Nino is officially over. And for those of you who don't know what El Nino is, well, don't worry about it. Um, but for those that do know that we've been uh, experiencing quite uh, a robust El Nino this past year, certainly has had an influence on weather in, in the U.S. Um, and other parts around the globe, not just the U.S., but I know it's it's been very newsworthy about how it was compared to past uh, El Nino episodes of its magnitude as it was one of the strongest, if not the strongest ever. Uh, and whether that means that we're going to head into a La Nina, although the patterns suggest yes, even some modern runs in the past couple of days suggest nah, maybe not. So it will be interesting to see where we go from there. But so a lot of big, big time news. Uh, you know, we haven't had as much, or I haven't seen as many headlines with tornadoes and lightning uh, in the past couple of weeks. Some of that seems to have died down, but uh, it could happen at any time. And as always, make sure you do what's uh, necessary to stay safe when dangerous weather is out there. So let's jump right into the main topic for this week's episode, where we're going to be discussing. Um, like I said, the future of, of broadcast meteorology. And uh, as I've mentioned in the past, you know, I hope over time to introduce uh, those of you who are not familiar with kind of what we call the broad weather enterprise into different aspects of it. And for those of you that are familiar, hopefully you'll learn some things about maybe aspects of it you didn't know before. Um, and for those of you who find uh, that episode uh, just redundant to things you already know, well, you can hit delete and hopefully wait for the next week's episode. Um, but as I mentioned, so so the Weather Enterprise really 
uh, is our, our sophisticated word is funny. I was exchanging um, communication with somebody I mentioned before, Tom Merritt, who does the Daily Tech News Show, and I had sent him a follow-up because something weather topic had come up. And um, he and his guest host had never heard the term weather enterprise. And I guess we take those of us in it for granted. But, you know, any industry you're in, you always have these acronyms or phrases that may define, you know, parts of what you do or the enterprise, you know, the, the industry you work in that aren't familiar to the outside world. Now, weather enterprise doesn't sound that unusual, but, you know, it, it's probably not a, a common phrase that uh, many of the people hear about on a regular basis who don't work in it. Uh, but it encompasses a, a wide variety of folks. But today we're going to talk about those folks that um, anybody in the audience is probably most familiar with. And those are broadcast meteorologists, whether it's people you listen to on the radio um, or, oddly enough, people that do a podcast of some kind that you listen to or watch. Um, or, more commonly, people that you see on television or tr have traditionally seen on television. And there's been a lot of chatter uh, in the weather enterprise on this topic lately. And so I thought it would be good to delve into it a little bit and spread that to a broader audience uh, so you can know what all of us uh, geeky weather people who work in the weather enterprise on a daily basis uh, have been talking about the past couple of months because it's, it's been a pretty big topic. Now, let's set a little bit of background. Um, like I said, you know, the... The question has been is, you know, really, what is the future of for a broadcast meteorologist? For so long, people, you know, you think about it, you just kind of take for granted. There's there's weather people on TV. Um, some of them are, have been true meteorologists. Some have gotten certifications after they've gotten into, you know, got into this thing is in terms of being in journal, journalism or some other major that put them in, in television and moved over to the meteorology side, although many of them have a great deal of, of knowledge and have gone back and gotten uh, the education necessary to really speak, you know, just like any meteorologist uh, with enough knowledge to make sure that they're giving you the right information. Even if they didn't come from a traditional, you know, studied it in college their first time around. Heck, I didn't study it in college my first time around. Um, for those of you who who know me know this, but um, my background was, you know, in, in the information technology side of the world. Uh, so, you know, meteorology, while I did go back to school and get a degree in it, um, was certainly not where, where I got my start either. So people come into it from a wide variety of, of areas, but they are kind of the link to this bigger, you know, the, the winter weather enterprise as a whole is kind of this, the iceberg piece, you know, we're all the people underneath the water. And like I said, I, I'm kind of on the edge there where I guess you could consider this podcast somewhat of a, of a broadcast meteorology thing. Although given that I'm not giving you a weather forecast, uh, it really doesn't fall in that realm. But um, these television and radio folks that you're used to dealing with, they're the, the piece of the iceberg. That, that you see. They're the ones conveying that information out um, to the wide variety of, of end users out there who need weather forecast. And there's been a lot of change going on. And a lot of that, you know, has started to stem from um, what was my previous career, so the technology world. So with the onset of, of the internet, um, you know, and the World Wide Web, and more recently social media, whether it's, you know, Facebook, Twitter, or, you know, some of the newer thing, you know, Snapchat, all these other things. Uh, the way in which we receive 
weather information or even a weather app has changed dramatically, but it started prior to the weather piece. It started with you know, your local news because that's where a lot of these people work. Now, some of you may have also gotten, you know, the Weather Channel certainly falls in that mix or even some of the national news programs that, that have weather people, whether it's, you know, something like the Today Show, you know, during the morning uh, or even in evening news where, where weather is a component. But for a lot of people, you know, watching a traditional 6 p.m. or 11 p.m. again depends on your time zone. Um, and in other countries, I know it, it varies some as well. Um, but somebody with some, some local knowledge would give you that weather information and you kind of counted on it. You know, it, as television was the, the medium of consumption, you looked for that weatherman to give you the forecast. I mean, that's kind of what you counted on. Now, you may have gotten in the newspaper, but you looked to that TV person to have the latest and greatest information or during dangerous situations to have that up-to-date information. Uh, and they have for a long time. But the you know technology disruption that took place started with generally with news. Uh, and as that is, has changed, as the viewerships have changed, it's also starting to impact meteorology. So it's, a, it's impacting them in a broad sense and that local news viewerships have, have dropped over time. And there's been a shift in how local news works, which they're a part of. But there's also been a shift in the disruption factor with how people are absorbing weather information in general. And in particular, that's had to do uh, with a variety of things running from how much better the weather models are even, so the non-human element to where you can go and get that information online, to simple weather apps that you may have on, uh, whether it's a smartphone or a tablet, or something that you're carrying on your person and can you know look at it constantly, or whether you utilize other social media outlets, you know whether you get something off Twitter or some other avenue that you can kind of uh, kind of get it on the go constantly. So whether you're having it pushed to you or whether you're pulling it, either way, um, there's all these different channels and ways that people are receiving their weather information that just weren't there a few years ago. I mean, you know, yeah, the Internet, kind of how local news work has been changing for some period of time, but this smartphone, I, I would call it kind of a phase two, so the smartphone element of it um, or the app element of it, you know, we're, we're really still within kind of the, I guess, the 10-year bubble uh, because at first it really wasn't sure how it was going to happen, but certainly that's kicked into overdrive in, let's say, the last five years. And so there's been a lot of, you know, what does our future look like for these people? Now, as I mentioned kind of uh, in this element of the iceberg, it is important to keep in mind that broadcast meteorology makes up, I, I think, and again, one of the stories references this that I'll put in the show notes, around 9%. It, this is based on um, American Meteorological Society membership. So roughly 9% of the 14,000 members fall in this, this area. Uh, so again, not, not a huge, not the largest portion by any means of the weather enterprise career paths, let's say but certainly the one that's most visible to the, to the vast majority of people. So let me also put a little context of where I'm going to come from this. Now, um, as we talk about it, you know, you, you're going to hear perspectives. I'm going I'm to present a couple of uh, thought pieces that have been written on this by some well-known meteorologists and, and their take on it. But I think it's also important to put it in the context where I come from. Now, as I've discussed, I've been in kind of the weather enterprise 
vicinity, whether it was, you know, when I started grad school, going back to grad school, or, or been working in it for roughly 10, 11 years now, but, you know, kind of in there and seeing, you know, what's going on. However, prior to that, and what I would call my first career was in the technology industry. And it's important to recognize that during that, I've seen what I would call heydays for a variety of things. I mean, I watched when personal computers went from, you know, good ones running in the over 10,000 range. Uh, you know, within a year, they were down at a couple thousand dollars. So, so I've seen these major shifts. So I've seen it in the personal computer industry. I've seen it in the with the dot-com bust, you know, where all these websites or web ventures were going to be the next greatest thing. And I've even seen it in the consulting industry, kind of the post-Y2K um, challenges. So, so I've watched industries that were thriving or co- supposedly considered in their heydays go from being something, almost being nothing. And sometimes these transitions, they, they tend... While there, there may be slow-moving uh, declines or, or changes um, over periods of years, there's usually this big shift in a period of time. Um, and, and I've witnessed that multiple times in, in the tech industry. So I, I do speak not from the meteorology side, but from um, a position of knowledge of watching this happen before. And believe me, I've, I've watched it happen to lots of people, including myself. I mean, I've worked for companies where you know, a, a group of people, let's say 200 people that took care of um, a particular thing within the technology industry, um, two years later, maybe 20 people. So uh, the, these things can be major and drastic, and I understand that. Um, and so while I have not seen it from the weather side per se, I have seen it elsewhere. So let's talk about the, the two kind of reference pieces uh, that I think are relevant here that are written by some well-known meteorologists. And the first, um, I, I will say that the first of these two people, neither one of them do I know well. The first one I have met, uh, his name is Marshall Shepard, and the second is James Spann. And, the, and they kind of come from two different perspectives. Marshall Shepard um, has gotten everything from his undergraduate through Ph.D. degrees. Uh, he graduated from Florida State University, a very well-known meteorology program. And has since, um, he worked uh, with NASA originally, but then moved on to the University of Georgia and is the director of the Atmospheric Sciences Program there. Um, He also has gotten into broadcast meteorology. He does a program, for those of you who still have the Weather Channel uh, on your cable programming, uh, for those, again, again, another shift in things uh, with the Weather Channel's struggles that they've had as well. There's a show he does on Sunday called Weather Geeks, so you might want to check it out. And he also writes on a regular basis for Forbes. And again, as usual, all the all the links I'll, I'll provide. But he wrote a piece. He's actually written a couple of pieces. He wrote one for Weather Underground, which is actually part of the Weather Company, which is broken up recently. I'm not going to get into all those things. That was kind of a precursor in which he was going to have some people uh, on Weather Geeks discussing this topic. But he also wrote a piece in Forbes in April. And the title of the piece is Why Do TV Meteorologists Quit? And it was speaking to some of the difficulties. There have been some really tough situations with uh, a TV meteorologist apparently taking his life. And, you know, how much of that was related to his work. Uh, you know, all, always work is a component of that. But, it, you know, I, I don't want to dig into trying to separate that piece of it versus other pieces, but clearly it speaks to the stress element. Uh, 
and having also known uh, female meteorologists who are in broadcast meteor heck meteorology in general and the struggles that they deal with wi- women in science um, and in particularly when you're in a public facing thing it's it's a tough thing um, and that may be a topic for another day I, I have somebody who I know who would actually could speak very well to this so if we get down the road to starting to interview people and they're willing to come on um, I know someone who who could talk to us uh, quite a bit about that topic but I think the interesting perspective that uh, Dr. Shepard brings to the equation is he's also served as the president of the American Meteorological Society. So he kind of sees things from a broad way, and he's graduated students that, that have gone on to work in broadcast meteorology, even if, if his dealing with it is coming from a little bit of a unique perspective because doing a show, it's, it's kind of like this. It's not that I wouldn't say it's not weather forecasting or that, that it's not real you know, broadcast meteorology, but it's really more of um, weather information, weather-related information, um, media availability for, you know, people to consume, whether it's a podcast or, in his case, a television show. It's a little different, um, but I, I think he, he provides a perspective that, that's a little little different, kind of like mine. It's not necessarily in the throes of somebody who's getting on the air every night, giving you a weather forecast and having to deal with that. Um, but it is relevant, uh, given all the angles from which he covers that. And he's talked to some of his past students and why they've gone on to other things, you know, and hits on some of the key things that I, I think are difficult. I don't know that they're unique to meteorology, however, in the media industry. You know, you're, you're always under scrutiny. There's always people telling you you don't look right, um, you know, you need to do this or that or dress a certain way or be a certain way. And I think those points are valid. Uh, and I had an exchange with him on Twitter about this because um, I understand that. And, and I think that, you know, the point that he makes, I asked him specifically, you know, how was this different than, you know, other industries that have gone through, you know, boom and bust periods like the some that I've referenced that, that I've dealt with personally. And his context was about the limelight, you know, in front of people. But I would also say that, you know, celebrities deal with, with that element. And, and there are, I mean, I would agree. I didn't come from a background where people were telling me how I needed to look per se, although I did work for companies where, you know, your look uh, was relevant. And so there were people, whether it was, you know, op- out in the open telling you um, or not, that, you know, those things, those elements were important to success. And so I think he believes that there's a, there's a lot of stress and tension kind of constantly addressed on those. And so I'll, I'll give him that point. I think the other thing that's relevant is the same thing that he and I used to exchange uh, in our a brief conversation about the topic, which is social media. Uh, we tried to have a conversation, and I hate these things, Twitter. I, you know, How can you have a meaningful conversation on something where both sides get 140 characters each uh, per exchange? And so uh, I do think that social media has brought to, um, and, and again, I don't, I don't think it's unique to meteorologists, but maybe in the context of other pressures that are going on, have, has brought to broadcast meteorology People just, I, I don't know what, what goes on. You know, 20 years ago, it wasn't easy for people just to be mean. 
okay, just plain mean to you personally and get that information to you without having to pick up the phone or write a letter. And you know what? Most people didn't go to that trouble. But now that they can send an email or put something on Twitter or whatever channel they want to use, you know, the comments on a, on a post, on a website, whatever it is, it's it's so easy for people just to be mean. And, and I think we'd all agree that 90% of the time, those people, if confronted with that individual personally, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Quite frankly, I, you know, to me, it's no different than lots of bullying that takes place today. But they would probably chicken out and not do it. So he brings up a lot of these points, and, and I think they're valuable. Um, you know, I understand where he's coming from. And in the end, I, he uses the word red flag. I think he, he even says that. He kind of points to a red flag view that it's not that the industry doesn't have a future per se, um, but that there are some real red flags. And it, he talks about low pay and some of the challenges about moving to different areas and whatnot. And, and I guess, again, as I've been in other industries that seen this, I don't think that that's necessarily unique to broadcast meteorology. I think what's important is that broadcast meteorology is clearly going through a difficult time, and those things tend to stand out during difficult times. So um, I understand his perspective, and I think he makes some valid points. I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's that unique to broadcast meteorology. And I don't think he was necessarily trying to say that in the Twitter exchange, although I do think he felt that it, it was a little different um, than, than some of the examples I gave him. And I agree. I agree that you know having someone come on and tell me what my hair looks like or how I need to dress and all that stuff uh, is relevant. And I ag also agree that you know, every Joe Schmo that's not in a public eye type of position isn't going to have people in social media raking you over the coals. So I do think that those points, those two kind of channels are, are very valid to the problem. Now, the other article that was written uh, was written by a gentleman uh, named James Spann. And he is a broadcast meteorologist and been doing this for, he's been in broadcasting, television broadcasting for many, many years. And he's currently over in Birmingham. He is the chief meteorologist at the ABC station over in Birmingham, Alabama. And he comes at it from a little, little different piece. Now, I, I will tell you that um, he also, I mean, he's very active, very well known. Um, you know, you would think somebody in Birmingham may not be the most well-known meteorologist, but there's been a couple events in his career that have really kind of thrust him into the limelight. Uh, and so he's very well-known, very highly followed on Twitter, et cetera. And he also does a podcast himself or hosts a podcast along with some other meteorologists called Weather Brains. And for those of you, it's kind of like um, uh, Marshall Shepard's uh, Weather Geeks, I mean, you know, I highly recommend both these things. Weather Brain's a little more weather heavy. Uh, it's about an hour and a half each week. It is once a week. But uh, if, you, if you're if you into the, the weather element of things and really want to hear some banner around by some meteorologists on a regular basis, it's, it's a great uh, show to listen to. And it would be the one that if you type in weather in whatever podcast uh, thing that you use, whether it's iTunes or Pocket Cast or whatever, it will be the show that comes up. And his piece takes a little different angle. I, I think he comes at it from a different perspective. Like I said, he didn't start out in weather. He, he's kind of backed into weather, um, but, but is very well respected. And he has an uncanny knowledge of, you know, Alabama and, you know, 
the topography and the layout of cities, et cetera. And I, and, and we'll, as we'll talk to in closing, and you know what I think is key on, on in this area, I think that's a key element. He knows his audience and where they live and who they are. And I think he's been an incredible student of, never stopped being a student of constant knowledge gaining that has enhanced his abilities in his career. Now, his piece was written in Medium, which um, I, is something that I guess I should get into. I, I, I've always looked for a way to better share ideas. Some of you know I've, I've written a couple small pieces in LinkedIn uh, because I just find that you know Facebook and Twitter and all that's not an easy way to share. But Medium may be something I have to get into for the few times I like to write, which is not very often. Uh, and he makes some points that, that I also think are very accurate. And he talks about uh, the future of broadcast meteorology and it not being for somebody who just thinks they're going to go to school and get into some 9-to-5 job and come out and do that. And, and, and again, this is someone speaking who has been there and done that and also understands, I think, that the industry as well is shifting. And when things are in their heyday, anybody can get a job. And in, in, in the technology world, a lot of my time was spent on the sales side of things. And I remember uh, being in a job and them just hiring anybody to do sales. Uh, you know, the, it, the right before the dot-com bust, you know, it, they couldn't find enough people to be into sales. Right, and the jobs paid well, so people wanted to be in it. And these are people who had no business being in sales. They they weren't qualified quite often. They had no idea how to do the job, and and they weren't really selling. They didn't have to. Everybody was just kind of giving them orders. And I think it's kind of the same way. I think in the past, broadcast meteorology they needed people. Right, there there were you know new stations and you know new roles and morning news shows and afternoon news shows and evening news shows and you had to fill all these slots and you needed all these people and there was lots of money in the business and when that's going on they hire lots of people and so you ended up with these schools creating broadcast meteorology programs geared specifically to that subsection and again we're talking about something that's less than 10 percent of the industry so he points out that that's just not enough that it takes real hard work and and to get somewhere, uh, that it's not, I, I think his point is, is that, you know, people look at him and I think they think that he's just been, you know, right place, right time. And I can tell you from what I've seen from listening to his podcast and, and different places and, you know, that I've seen him write or talk that that's not the case. It's very obvious. This guy works nearly around the clock and he'll tell you that he'll tell you how few many hours, how, how few hours he, he actually sleeps in the night. Um, and, you know, for some people, they tell you that stuff and you go, yeah, sure, right. But but I think on, in his case, it's true from what I've seen. But he his article in the end is more optimistic. And I, and I think it points to, again, some of the same challenges that we're facing. Um, and he will tell you, if you ever listen to his podcast, social media drives him crazy. And all these what, what we would call people, um, social media meteorologists who just get on and say just about anything and no one's checking them right you, you know they they say sensationalist things and they get followers because they're funny or entertaining but they're really not helping you out from a weather standpoint now those that are consuming it may or may not care quite frankly um, but you know it's here to stay YouTube's here to stay it's not going anywhere anytime soon and even if it does go somewhere something else will take its place but his piece, you know, points to the fact that, that there is really, there is a future in broadcast meteorology, but I think it also hints at the fact that it may not look what it looks like today. So 
I think one's more of an optimistic view. One's a little more of a of a pessimistic view. I don't I don't think either one of them um, suggest that broadcast meteorology is you know a growing, thriving industry that just is going to be able to hire everybody and absorb everybody. Um, but hopefully, neither one of them point that it's going to completely go away. However, all that said, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist on on the you know the future of broadcast meteorology, I do think that there's some realities. Um, you know, there there is any time an industry is going through a change like this, where where there's you know people nibbling at their revenue generating, and that's let's be realistic, that's what's going on. That whether they can do it cheaper, or whether they can, uh, you know, they can steal pieces of the revenue, whatever it is. There's there's a few things. Keep in mind, one, there's going to be shrinkage. There's probably going to be fewer what I would call local stations out there. And I, and I think that particularly some of the secondary markets, this may be, may be the case. And consolidation. Traditionally, television stations, many of them, were owned locally. And that certainly is going to change. And with that always comes corporate people who think that they know what's best for you. It's just a reality. There's going to be a new look. I don't, you know, whether you're looking at a big screen on the wall and you call it a television 20 years from now, I don't know. But what I do know is the way we consume is changing and the number of devices we do it on and the times of day we do it, all those things are, are changing and that's going to keep happening. Now, I mentioned James Spann and in, in, in sales, we used to have this term, we, we had eagles and journeymen. And eagles were the people that just seemed to be naturals at things. You know, there were, and you've seen them before in sales. They're just people that can, you know, as they say, sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo or whatever phrase you want to throw in there. Uh, it, it's the people that just seem to do it right. And James Spann comes across that way. Now, he may argue whether he's an eagle or not, but I know some of his peers would say he's certainly an eagle. Um, he's got one of those great voices. He's got a very distinguished look on TV. You know, he doesn't have a, a full great head of hair, but uh, he's got the suspender look going for him, and it works. Um, but he, I think he would tell you that he's worked hard to get there, that it's not been all easy, um, and that he would consider him, maybe consider himself more of a journeyman, whether his peers consider him that or not. But in sales, there are plenty of journeymen. It, you know, it used to follow the 80-20 rule. It's just like anything else that the vast majority of people doing it or have it have to work really hard at it to be successful. And I don't think that's any different than what we're going to see in, in what we would call broadcast meteorology today. Don't think it's necessarily going to go away, but I do think that it's going to take a lot of work. And if if it's something you really want to do, you are going to figure out a way to do it. And you know, some of the side pieces I, I've read, and, and like I said, I'll include a few extras than maybe what I've discussed here today. But I think it's important to recognize that how your perception of something when you go into it, you know, if you think broadcast meteorology is all easy and all, any job, I'm sorry, people, when you get into it, it's work. It is really work. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's changed. And, and I do think that when an industry is not under pressure, or jobs are not under pressure, it's a lot easier to like your job, whatever it might be. But hopefully the people that have gotten in the broadcast meteor meteorology because they really wanted to not be just involved in the weather enterprise, but really wanted to be in that element, will find a way to make it work, even if it means working hard at it. 
So I still think, you know, if you consider all those things, that that's going to be what the reality is. It may not be what you expect, you know, from a, a traditional broadcast meteorology role, but it doesn't mean it's not going to exist. So I guess here's my take on, on what I think is going to be important. I still think there's going to be this need for local. I, I think, you know, as we're watching the demographics of young people today and their cord cutters and all the, you know, cable killers, whatever, whatever name you want to throw at them, they're still going to, just like their previous generations, find a value in someone who has local knowledge, okay? However, if that local knowledge is only delivered once a day or once every six or 12 hours, there's, they're going to find another way to get the information they need. So local still relevant, and I think that's going to be important. The trust component is big, and it's interesting. You know, Apple Computer used to grow and grew initially by, they were in all the schools, so that when people got out of school, everybody wanted an Apple. Now, the model didn't necessarily drive them to the next thing, but it, but it made those that those generations of people kind of had this quest for Apple. It, you know, it didn't eventually carry over in the businesses, but it had that momentum initially. And you know what? James Spann is in these schools all the time. And I actually think that it is relevant that he's building future generations of people that are going to watch him deliver weather. They come out of school, whether it, you know it's high school and go on to college, but if they stay in the vicinity, they remember this guy. I mean, that's a reality. So I do think that building that trust, and that means giving accurate forecasts, not just throwing stuff out there and sounding like you know what you're talking about, not just, you know, kind of taking a swing at it, that that can drive a key element to the success of, of what these people look like. So still a need for local knowledge. I mean, in Atlanta, for instance, you know, where I'm currently located, we have this thing called the wedge that drives local forecasters crazy but somebody who doesn't know about it can't forecast it and those are days that can make their their drastically different outcomes and if the people giving you the forecast don't have that knowledge you're not going to believe them when it comes time to give that forecast and it's going to be one of those times that the model could very easily get it wrong so there's that need i do think that the future of these people is as the models continue to get better which we're, we are seeing to interpret what that means for their users. So having the knowledge, and as we get more sophisticated tools that can tell us more about whether it's severe events like you know tornadoes or blizzards or tropical cyclones, it's not necessarily easier for the people who are getting the forecast to understand all that information. So there's still a need for a local, trustworthy individual to interpret what all these models are throwing out and what that means for the end user. They still just want a weather forecast. They don't want to go into, you know, if, if you're like me, of course, you want to dig in all these details. But not everybody does. They want to, in a couple of minutes at most, get this information. I also think that one of the challenges now that the media companies haven't figured out, and it's one of the things hurting their, their meteorologist, is how to become channel agnostic. Now, when I say channel, I don't mean ABC versus NBC or, you know, Sky or whatever you might be listening to around the globe or Fox or whoever. I mean the method in which you deliver it, whether it's traditional TV, whether it's some sort of web app, whatever it might be. I think the key is going to be to be able to get there all the ways. They've got to figure out a way to make money in all those channels. And again, I realize that now Apple wants a cut and Facebook wants a cut. And they're all trying to cut in these guys' revenue, but they're going to figure out a way and make that happen. 
and they need to. And that's the me- that's on the media company. I think it's hard for the meteorologist to be expected to figure that out. And and the last piece is, I, you know, I think that the viewers need fresh, but that doesn't mean they need an update every hour or constant. They, they're going to want to be able to pull the information when they want to, not sit in front of the TV at a specific time. But that doesn't mean you need to issue an updated forecast every 30 seconds or every you know, even 30 minutes. But if you have regular intervals that you deliver an updated forecast, whether that's every three or six hours, when the new model runs come out, quite frankly, and you have a, a way for people to pull that information on a regular basis through a method that they want to, they will still count on these local meteorologists to deliver them the information. So I do think there's a future like I said, I, I think in the end, there's still a need for local, but they, there's got to be this trustworthy aspect of it, and interpretation's a key thing. Just getting on the air and, and talking about models can make people nauseous sometimes. So people don't, they, they still want you as a, as a meteorologist, or want the meteorologist, I think, to deliver that final component of information so that they can make their decisions. Or maybe you're even helping them make their decisions by helping them better understand the risk of rain or, or severe weather or whatever it might be. But again, they've got to be available by all these channels. I know that, um, I know, personally know a, a meteorologist in the Atlanta market. And he's worked really hard recently to try to build a Facebook um, community. And I see the challenges going on there. I see the people that are on there that are going, you know, what's in it for me? And, and you know what, that's going to always be everywhere. But he's also got people in there that are that are really active and helping. And it's, and it's growing an additional kind of community, kind of a, a knit group that, that feels tied to him and the rest of the team at that particular station. And I think that's a good thing. And I think the media companies need to spend more time focused on that helping them because the challenge with all this stuff certainly is social media is, is a 24-7 world and one meteorologist can't do it around the clock. So I think there's going to be a need to have teams around meteorologists that have the savvy of how to utilize social media. So that meteorologist, if you've got somebody at a ta- uh, station that has a big name and you want to leverage that, well, then they've got to figure out how to do it. And that meteorologist is going to have to be flexible enough that they're, they may not be seeing everything that's always going out with their name. But, you know, it, it's going to take some creativity. But do I, do I think that there's a future uh, for broadcast meteorology? Certainly. Do I think it's going to look anything like it's looked traditionally? No. I don't also think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that if those that are in the field now um, aren't willing to accept some change, they're going to have a hard time, you know, five to ten years from now. However, I do think that uh, people still have this need and and don't necessarily believe everything other people on social media are throwing at them. I, I do think that people want to have folks that they go to uh, for good quality forecast. So, uh, I you know, a- am I a, a pessimist on this? Not not particularly. Am I an optimist? Well, that's kind of not my. Uh, those who know me know that that's not necessarily my nature either. Um, but I would say that that I, I think the future is reasonable. I, I think there's a need for what I would call media meteorologists. I think broadcast meteorologist is the wrong term. I, th- I think that you know meteorologists who help. Uh, the vast world of those consuming weather information for personal use. Uh, 
I think there's a, a need on an ongoing basis. And there'll be you know, special situations where maybe they go to TV or some other sort of live thing. Or, I don't care, Periscope or Meerkat or whatever the, the live channel or YouTube Live, whatever the live channel of the day is going to be. That stuff, uh, or Facebook, as I, like, you know, I've, I've mentioned previously, those channels are going to be important. And, you know, I think how you adapt to those things or how these these individuals adapt to those things is going to be a critical element. So, oh, boy, that was a lot to absorb. Like I said, I'm going to put some additional links in the show notes. It's an interesting topic. um, And having been in industries and watched this happen, I know it's painful. And I know there's a lot of people, like I said, I've got a lot of uh, people I know that are that are in the industry um, and watching and hearing and talking to them. I know it's not easy, uh, but for those, like I said, those that, that really love the field, not just the field of weather, but the field of broadcast meteorology, I think they'll find a way, uh, hopefully for the vast majority of them, that the media companies will figure out how to make their, their dollar. And I understand that. I understand that, that this is a, it's a money thing as well, that they'll figure out how to do it in a way um, that allows these individuals to, to thrive and succeed in a, in a different future going forward. But it's going to change, folks, um, no doubt about it. And for those of you who, you know, if you have a favorite broadcast meteorology um, individual, you know, or, or even a station that you like, see what they're up to on social media and try to support them in that. Um, I, 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 again, it's a two-way street with all this stuff. You should know, A, that they're going through big changes as, as some of these things are going on behind the scenes that I mentioned. Um, but B, they're going to succeed with you. Uh, it's, it's your um, willingness to put up with some pop-up ads or whatever it is uh, that, that's going to make sure that they are around for bringing you uh, that, that critical information that you look forward to. All right, so let's let's uh, catch a moment to breathe and, and move on from here. So interesting tidbit of the week. It's kind of hard to follow up on that. I hope that wasn't too heavy for everybody. I, I promise not to over-heavy all the time. Um, but one of the things, you know, I mentioned a, a, an exchange I had with a, a non-MET person. Well, the topic was something that comes up often, and, and you don't, you always hear about the start of summer. We're not there yet, right, for the Northern Hemisphere summer. We're coming up on it later in June. Um, and, you know, the, the you always hear about the solstice uh, components, you know, whether it's the late June, September, December, or um, is it March? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, March uh, dates that, that have tripped driven the seasons over time but what a lot of people don't know is there's a meteorological seasons versus astronomical seasons and they're different so we meteorologists tend to look at things when when the temperatures actually generally change in the temperate areas of the world so we tend to use um, for summertime we actually start the first day of june so june july august and for those of you who live in those regions know that those tend to be the hotter periods. And by the time you, t- you get to then September, it tends to break. Or if you're in the southern hemisphere, that's when your spring starts and starts to warm up. So just so you know, we don't, we don't adhere to the solstice things. I also think it makes research easier when you work around the beginning of a month versus the end. So there may be something to that as well. I, I, I didn't read about how that started, but just know. We meteorologists always like to make things complicated and different. So we've been in summer already for, for a few days. 
All right. So next time around, um, we are, as I promised, we're going to get back to probabilities and why you would want to bother with a probabilistic forecast and what good it is for you. And hopefully if the weather will work out, I was hoping um, my uh, my phone took a, took a dive in the water. Um, so I didn't get to do some filming this week that I'd hoped to. And the weather's not cooperated since then about uh, doing the the smell of rain. But if we have to reverse them, I may do um, weather and routers. You know, I'll leave it at that. Um, wondering what in the world did those two things have to do together. But uh, one of those two will be the video episode coming up next week. It just depends on how the weather cooperates and letting me film that. So I think that's about it. Um, just wrapping up, let's let's say again, as, as always, you know, you guys have been doing this for just a couple of months now and entering my, my second, my, my new season since it is the beginning of June. Um, and, and I just can't thank you enough for all the support. Um, you know, the, the people I'm hearing from that are, that are catching episodes or some, some old friends as well that have found the, the podcast and the vidcast. It's been great, but just, you know, the wide array that all over the globe and, and, you know, everywhere that are, um, able to participate in this endeavor. It's been great. And the, and the feedback has been tremendous. So thank you again for all that. I, you know, I, I hope to be able uh, to live up to everyone's expectations as we go along this journey. So as always, the website, whatisitabouttheweather.com. Generally, everything I talk about, you can find there, the individual episodes, the show notes, all those sort of things, the different ways to connect to us, um, so subscribing, supporting, all those things. Um, and certainly, and, and I've made mention of this, I think, previously, but if you're interested, one of the other things that I love to do is, is photography. I'm not necessarily great at it, uh, but there's a lot of opportunity for, for weather and photography to mix. And on, on my Twitter and uh, Facebook feeds and Instagram, particularly on Twitter and Instagram, I do tend to post a lot of pictures uh, related to weather and uh well, you know, whether it's it's stuff in the Atlanta area or things I come across, but wherever I might be that, that I think is some, some neat weather events, I, I try to share those opportunities with people. So if you're into that kind of stuff, certainly find me on those things. And again, you can find that stuff on the website or it's Mark with a K underscore Jelinek, J-E-L-I-N-E-K for both Twitter and Instagram to get hold of those two methods. And lastly, as I, I mentioned, I appreciate all the support, but let's review the RSVP model. Um, R rate, iTunes, Pocket Cast, whatever it is, if, you, if one of those programs that you use has a way to rate the podcast, that's the most important thing to discoverability. And just like broadcast meteorologists uh, needing ratings numbers to be relevant, um, us podcasters, if we want more people to see it, um, that's what we need to. So that's that's how other people find it. So if they go in and do a search on weather in one of these programs, the more ratings there are that are nice, of course, um, the better chance is that somebody will find uh, the podcast. Share. Tell your friends about it. Tell anybody about it. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I've, I've gotten a couple of the T-shirts made. I'm going to need to get a, a second batch, I think, from somebody else. The first batch, they look good, um, but they shrank a little bit, um, which is not acceptable acceptable to me so i will 
be looking for someone else to make another round. But, you know, at some point I may do that. I may make those available, and that would be great too. So if you're able to share by being a public billboard, that will be nice. Uh, validate if you can continue to give us show ideas, continue to tell us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. I, you know, I'm not oblivious to uh, the fact that I do plenty wrong. So if you have thoughts or feedback, please, please, please let us know. And the last, of course, pledge um, for those of you who – Want to give a little value for the value, uh, hopefully, that you're getting out of the podcast. You can find information on the website about supporting us on Patreon. So, as always, until next time, have good, exciting, but hopefully safe weather as well. Thanks again. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on Patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-word social production. Thank <laughs> you.